Welcome to Negotiating Brexit, the Views from the Member States podcast. This is a series for anyone interested in Brexit and the UK's future relations with its European neighbours. We look at viewpoints that are not always well known in the UK. I'm Hussein Kassim, Professor of Politics at the University of East Anglia and a Senior Fellow of the UK and a Changing Europe. And I'm Cleo Davis, Senior Research Associate at UEA. Today we are looking at Estonia and Lithuania and Brexit. We're delighted to welcome our guests Pirek Kusik and Ramunas Vilpichauskas. Ramunas Vilpichauskas is a director and professor at the Institute of International Relations and Political Science at Vilnius University. He worked as the head of the Economic and Social Policy Group and was appointed to coordinate the team of advisors to the president from 2006 to 2009. His main research interests include the political economy of European integration, policy analysis of public sector reforms and international political economy. He has been a visiting fellow at Syracuse and Carleton and a Fulbright scholar at Columbia University. He has also published widely on the EU, EU politics and policy and Lithuania and the EU. Pirat Kusik is research fellow at the Estonian Foreign Policy Institute at the ICDS. Her research focuses on the EU's foreign and security policy, German-Franco relationship and the Baltic Sea region's role in Europe and the world. A graduate of the University of York, she holds an MA from the Paris School of International Affairs at Sciences Po Paris. She has visited the Elliott School at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. and held positions at the European Parliament, Estonian Embassy in Tel Aviv, Estonian Ministry of Defence, Raleigh International in Tanzania and Atelier Europe in Paris. In the UK, we imagine that others in Europe have been as preoccupied by Brexit as we have. Has Brexit been an important issue in Estonia and Lithuania? So, um, to my great surprise, I think Brexit has been a, even a more covered issue than I thought it will be. And sometimes I'm very surprised how the Estonian media follows it so closely that even like the smallest hooks and nooks that we've seen throughout the past two, two three years um, comes up in the news. So, so in that sense, I, I've, been, I've been very surprised by that. To some extent, it makes sense because UK is a very close partner for Estonia. On the other hand, you do kind of come to a question where you ask yourself, do we really need to get to know, know the fact that now this is the day when Barnier goes to London? So, so there, is, uh, there is this kind of uh, interesting paradox to some extent. Well, in Lithuania, I would say that uh, it depends on which uh, news source you look at. Uh, our public broadcasting uh, news TV covers uh, Brexit negotiations uh, quite, uh, uh, quite uh, frequently in, in uh, rather detailed attention and uh, in the last half a year, this, uh, I would say, has created a sort of surreal impression when you see the same faces talking about the same three issues. Fisheries, uh, level playing field, which probably doesn't say much to most of the audience, and uh, even more obscure issue of, uh, well, how to resolve disputes in the future. And you keep hearing that, uh, once again, the negotiators discuss the same three issues. And you keep hearing that over and over again. So I think for a lot of people, this is not really 
easy to understand uh, and why can't you resolve those issues uh, for such a long time but if we look into popular news portals let's say I, I would uh, say that coverage uh, is is not so, so frequent and it focuses on on more uh, on more practical issues which are closer to most people. For example, what about your relatives which uh, reside in the UK? Because uh, the biggest Lithuanian uh, community abroad lives in the UK, uh, estimated around two. 150,000 people or maybe even more. So uh, this is one important topic. Uh, also practical issues which are important for business, uh, for exporters, for example, how uh, customs procedures will function after January 1st, uh, whether there will be customs duties or not. I mean, we still don't know this, but uh, these are, of course, issues which are of interest uh, to Lithuanian companies that have business ties. Also, Lithuanian uh, transport uh, carriers are quite active in the UK. Uh, so trade and services is another important topic. Uh, and for political elites, uh, of course, uh, one more issue is significant. This is security security relationship between uh, Lithuania and all three Baltic states and the UK after it finally leaves the EU. Of course, NATO comes in as a very important forum here, but uh, knowing the importance of geopolitical concerns in the Baltic states, uh, this is understandably an important issue, but of course it is usually covered in debates among diplomats and, and uh, members of parliament. Thank you. Uh, no doubt we'll be coming back at length to the uh, issue of uh, NATO. Uh, Pirat, you wanted to add something, though? Yes, in the sense that it is actually, I, I like that Roman has brought this out, that essentially, you know, we've been stuck on three issues, fish, level playing field and governance for, for now in such a direct way, almost a year. And as a commentator, it has been very challenging to go into onto radio, TV, and trying to make, to bring out something new, because essentially the, the, the problem, the dynamics of the problem is still the same. And so, so there, you can see that on the one hand, there's this kind of hyped up want to know what is going on in the discussions. But then on the other hand, the content itself doesn't change. And so you find yourself in this situation where, on the one hand, you want to say that this is an important event and, and Estonians, we should follow it. But then on the other hand, you want to also say like, that, you know, this is not really important. Nothing hasn't changed, like calm down. So it's always this kind of balancing between the, kind of the two, two sides. Thank you very much. Uh, an interesting point there that you're being called in to comment. Now, moving on to the second one. How is the UK's departure from the EU viewed in Estonia and Lithuania? I think it's seen, it's seen as an important issue for, for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, practical, uh, commercial, security, political, and uh, there is a very strong general sense that uh, this is an unfortunate uh, development uh, and uh, nobody is going to win. It's a zero-sum game. This is something that has been repeated uh, since 2016. 
by analysts as well as, as policymakers, uh, and I think uh, the, this probably describes the general feeling. So uh, those negotiations and more generally rebuilding of bilateral relationship with the UK is seen as a damage control exercise rather than something that, uh, well, where something might gain or, or some side might lose. Uh, all sides uh, involved are expected to lose, unfortunately. Vera, did you want to add something from the Estonian perspective? Yes, I would, and I think that would also apply to Lithuania quite a lot, is that um, the UK um, definitely has had quite a strong soft power in, in the Baltic states. And so I quite often reference that I grew up watching Hercule Poirot and Midsummer Murders. And so in that sense, um, it also means that I think Estonians, and I think the Baltic states in general, has, has quite a close ties and personal attachment to the UK and the British culture and, and what goes. And I think this is the reason why also media covers it, because people understand that personally to some extent. Um, nevertheless, we can, the, the, the topic of, and I think this is, has been one of those kind of other uncovering parts of Brexit is that what is our view of the UK and what is the actual UK? On the one hand, you want to get see Brighthead revisited on reality, it's maybe more Little Britain than, than Brighthead revisited. So in that sense, you know, these are two, two different things. Um, so, so I think there is this, um, so when I, have to kind of describe on how we see the Brits going, then first and foremost, it's it's a very sad break for us uh, because we I, I think there is this kind of an attachment. Now, when we talk on a more kind of political level, then we're losing an ally. We're losing a foreign policy and an economics ally in a sense because the UK doesn't like Russia like we don't like Russia, and the UK thinks that uh, free market competitive-based European Union will will be the, the, it will make EU success. And fundamentally, this is what we also think. And so, so it does have these two, two sides to it, and it's a loss either way. And, and I kind of would kind of point out that as well, that, that for, for, and I think for that also applies to three Baltic countries, our, foreign policy for the past 30 years has been to get inside of those Western institutions, the, the international community as much as possible. And now we see a situation where a country wants to get, get away from that. And that's, that's a big oddity in a sense, because, because we, our thinking is that you can't survive alone. Um, and, and now we see a country that is very dear to our heart going alone. And so, so I think that's, uh, that's uh, and, and, and I hope that the UK will do well, but, uh, but the worry is quite big about the UK in terms of like being this country uh, in the international waters by itself. Uh, thank you both uh, for that for those answers. You mentioned the UK's commitment to the single market or to free, free trade, uh, uh, Pirat, and is there a view um, on what the UK has contributed to the EU? Yes, I think in addition to the focus on the single market, uh, which has also been a priority for the Baltic states, uh, including areas like energy policy, energy security issues, uh, 
Uh, I would also point to general support for the EU enlargement, which was very clear element of the UK's European policy. And this support uh, for accession of Central Eastern European countries was very much appreciated here in the Baltics because in mid-1990s there was still a huge uncertainty here where the Baltic states will be accepted at all. I mean, until the signing of association agreements, uh, uh, Baltic states were still in different category compared to Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic and other countries. So, so this uh, support for EU enlargement, uh, of course, we realized that UK's government also had its own agenda uh, by supporting widening, uh, but uh, it was in line with uh, Baltic states' uh, uh, interests. Uh, and as I said, this, this was seen as, as, as important. In addition to general support for more open trade, Baltic states are open uh, economies, which uh, trade a lot with the outside world. So what happens outside of our countries, first of all, of course, in the EU single market, but also in the world more generally is important for our economic development. So in this sense, there was also a clear clear alignment in terms of views with the UK's uh, position and often quite different from, let's say, France's uh, position. And, and uh, in this respect, there are also internal debates how Baltic states should be constructing coalitions in the EU without the UK? Yeah, I think when we talk about uh, UK's contribution, then uh, I know that Ta Margaret Thatcher is a very decisive, <laughs> very conflictual figure in the UK, but, uh, but you know, uh, her policies, Thatcherism, was, was the basis of the 1990s economic policy, and that has continued. Uh, so in that sense, that's, that's in here. Enlargement, I said, Russia. Uh, the UK isn't afraid of Russia and considers it an important issue. And for us, this is terribly important. And that links to my second point about the fact that the UK still think that, thinks that territorial defence is something worth uh, keeping and there is a need for it. So in that sense, uh, though this does not happen so much within the EU framework and more in NATO's framework, then nevertheless having this view in the EU was important to us. And then, and then finally, transatlantic relations. The UK was one of the key tenants for transatlantic relations. Uh, US is terribly important for us. So, so now, again, the question, where will the UK fall in this? And, and, and I have to say that in the EU, it's, it's getting harder. It, it, it has been harder. Yeah, we do try to cooperate with the Nordic countries and also the Netherlands. But you see, you don't have that strong, you don't have this one big country argue, arguing for, for competition and free trade. And, and, and there is a difference between one doing it for you or the six, seven, eight trying to kind of find some kind of common voice. Um, and, and the same on, on Russia, uh, the, the picture is much more fragmented. And transatlantic relations, you know, there is a very different views on what kind of relationship would we like in the future in the EU? And, and our view very much coincided with the UK's, and that's not there anymore.
Thank you. I can see her nodding on the transatlantic relations there. So moving on, going back to the immediate aftermath of the uh, UK referendum to leave the European Union. When uh, the UK referendum took place, some in the UK and elsewhere anticipated the effects uh, would ripple across Europe. Did the vote have an impact on party politics, uh, on the discourses and public opinion in Estonia and Lithuania? I would say that uh, the reactions... uh in Lithuania were quite similar uh, across uh, party spectrum and they were basically disappointment, uh, surprise uh, as uh, Lithuanian ambassador to the EU told me uh, at the time uh, there was a very strong sense of shock, uh, uncertainty. And this uh, diagnosis was shared uh, across most uh, parliamentary parties and there were statements made by members of parliament, of course, by our president, uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, they all expressed disappointment. And of course, uh, the key question uh, was, uh, what is next? And the main next fear was related to the potential domino effect of uh, Brexit referendum, Um, in in other words, uh, whether other countries like the Netherlands, uh, France, where Eurosceptic parties have been visible, active, uh, would uh, attempt uh, at initiating similar referendums. uh, And and I think this was uh, uh, the main driving force behind this surprising uh, unity that we saw among EU27. But this fear of potential further fragmentation, I think, was especially strong uh, in countries like, like ours, like uh, Lithuania, uh, Latvia and Estonia, because uh, as uh, Pirat already mentioned, uh, for our countries, all 30 years, since re-establishment of independence were uh, marked by a very clear trajectory or vector of uh, integrating into the main Western clubs and alliances, especially UNATO. So just as all three Baltic states joined all the integration projects, including Schengen and Eurozone, As you know, uh, Lithuania was the last one of three Baltic states to join the Eurozone in 2015. Immediately, we we saw fragmentation starting of those clubs, even though the UK was not, of course, a member of the Eurozone. But uh, I think that was probably the most uh, important reason behind this shock and, and big uncertainty, what is going to happen more broadly with the EU, maybe even NATO. Right. So um, just this, I think, UK's the domestic politics is going through a turmoil. I think the same is happening across Europe. And uh, and so um, in general, you know, UK Brexit is a foreign policy issue, which means that it has been a tradition in Estonia, and I think quite, mostly in the Baltic states as well, to a large extent, is that foreign policy does not take part of party politics. Uh, foreign policy is something that kind of stands aside uh, and it has and it's consensual based and it's like cross cross national as, as such we the, the, the parties don't debate foreign and security policy um, 
but then what has happened is that in Estonia we do have the, the kind of the far right populist government uh, party in the government. And in the summer of 2019, there was a case where uh, the member of this party compared the EU with the Soviet Union as a system. And that kind of, and, and basically saying, you know, Brexit, that's, that's a big thing. They're a Eurosceptic party, you know, they, they think that the Brits have done the right decision by leaving. And, but nevertheless, they still support Estonia's membership of the European Union and all the benefits that come along with it. So as, as we know. And so, and that kind of got a really stark response from, from the rest of Estonia's political parties and the prime minister itself saying, you know, this wasn't fair and this is not correct and so on and so forth. So what I want to say with this is that there is this whole international relations side of Brexit, you know, one country leaving an international organization, blah, 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 blah. The other side of it is that Brexit is a popular populist project just as much as it is an international relations project. And for political forces, I think across Europe, it has, for some, it has shown what not to do. For others, it has shown what to do. Um, and so in Estonia, it, it came, it, it did come up in one point, but it was refuted quickly. And since then, we, we haven't really had a discussion about, about kind of that. But, but I think that the, the populist part should not also be forgotten. Well, thanks very much for that. Very, very interesting. I mean, I'd like to pick up on, um, you've already talked about the ways in which um, Estonia and Lithuania will be affected by um, the UK's departure. I wonder to what extent those considerations um, shape the approach taken by, um, by your two countries to the, um, to the negotiations. As I said, uh, I would, uh, uh, first of all, uh, points to the general concern with potential effects of Brexit on the unity of the EU and the risks of fragmentation. So I think uh, that was the basic underlying uh, uh, preference uh, for Lithuanian position to try to avoid any potential fragmentation within EU 27. Uh, and to show flexibility uh, in those uh, uh, moments of negotiation when there, there were disagreements between EU 27 regarding particular issues related to trade in goods or services, just to show flexibility for the sake of unity. I think that was one important principle which originated, uh, as I said, from the perceived needs to prevent uh, potential further fragmentation of EU27. In addition to that, of course, there were, there were direct effects which were important for Lithuanian negotiators. These had to do with, first of all, Lithuanian citizens living, working uh, in the UK and their rights which were already dealt with during the first stage of uh, negotiating uh, withdrawal treaty. Uh, there were also important interests related to budgetary impact of the UK leaving to make sure that UK uh, honors its obligations uh, within the financial perspective 2014 
2020, uh, which was achieved as well. And then there were, uh, well, commercial and security concerns, uh, commercial concerns related to maintaining free trade, to introducing as little new obstacles as possible among the EU and the UK. But if there was a, if there was a need to choose between free trade and unity, I would say that our negotiators were choosing unity. Um, and security concerns to, to maintain UK's role in our region as an important actor in terms of security provision, in terms of military ally of the Baltic states. Yes, so the um, so kind of bringing this all together, fundamentally the position is to have a, as close as possible a relationship with the UK. That is the fundamental goal, I think, of all, all, all three. But now we're... In this question, you kind of, I think that needs to kind of be looked at from two different ways. One is that Estonia and the UK, I think it has been an awful surprise to the UK how quickly countries who they were close with kind of abandoned them to some extent. Uh, because now comes the second part. This negotiation is about or like, let's say a member state's position within that uh, within that negotiation is an EU internal politics issue, and this is and this is where you we don't assess UK Estonia relationship, but we assess Estonia's relationship and its politics within the EU. And here, um, I don't see because security is anyways out of the EU's framework in, within the NATO. Uh, I also have to admit that the UK um, soldiers are stationed in Tapa as a, as part of the enhanced forward presence uh, uh, within the NATO for, uh, framework. So this all kind of stayed anyways. But I don't see really an interest where Estonia would have kind of said, like, either we get this or nothing. Because, because for us, you always kind of weigh it against your other interests within the EU system, what you want to get in, within your EU politics. And I think that that was, that was something that the EU didn't, uh, sorry, the UK didn't really think through, was that if you're going to leave the boat, then the boat will continue doing its teamwork. Anyways, you cannot expect some of them kind of hanging out and still holding on to you uh, and then kind of try and, and then being ready to trade off or exchange something so that to, to help you, you left the boat. And, and, and now it's, and so it's not for Estonia in the sense what kind of interest it has in, in the negotiation and how its position is formed. It's not about so much about the, what we want from the UK. It is about how does it affect our position within the EU. And how do we play against our other interests in the in, in the EU? And um, and I think that's where the UK went at the beginning. Very that was a miscalculation as such. We want as close as relationship as possible. You know, we'll, we'll do everything that we can. Estonia is also thinking kind of strengthening bilateral relationships, strengthening the Nordic UK cooperation, Nordic Baltic UK cooperation. Absolutely, but. Um, do not try to play us against against the EU because it's not about that anymore, and uh, and so so yeah so, so I think this is the calculus when we when we talk about 
kind of how, how the member states themselves come to the and why they also support the, the Bernese team so well. I also would note that here, that I think here, Michel Barnier did, did an excellent job. He really came to the capitals. He really gathered together what the capitals think, what is important to them, and really tried to find the, the, the center in the middle. And, and he has been very communicative with the member states and the governments. So on the one hand, yes, you can argue that, oh, it's so surprising that the EU is so united. But then on the other hand, the work that goes into it is also immense and, and probably even might, probably bigger than, than in some other EU policy areas. And so, um, so in that sense, uh, you know, it, it is a very considerate effort to get that unity. It doesn't just come out of nowhere, which I think is a lesson learned to many EU policies. Where it, where does sometimes it does feel that something is cooked up in Brussels and the new capitals just take it. Um, in in this case, it really has been a collaborative effort. No, that's a, it's that's a very it's a very very interesting um, very interesting um, couple of answers there. I mean, I think that um, I mean, but, but one thing I did want to ask you about was um, one can understand unity about all of the issues that you've mentioned and and, and discussed and. And also, sort of, you know, respect the job that Michelle Barnier has done as, as heading the task force. But I wondered about um, about Ireland. I mean, Ireland is a sort of distant country and place a place for um, both Estonia and uh, Lithuania. And you know, why? How can you explain solidarity and unity behind um, the the, the, the um, EU position on the Irish border? I think it has uh, to do with the issue of. Uh, the role of small states inside the EU. I think this is the main explanation. And uh, I uh, also discussed this with uh, former president of Lithuania, Dalia Grybauskaita, uh, when I had an interview with him about uh, Lithuania's position, Lithuania's interests uh, in Brexit negotiations and uh, understood from what she said that uh, uh, Irish concerns uh, are Irish concerns, but we don't want a small member state to be left on its own. And I think this explains uh, a lot because Baltic states uh, in this respect identify themselves uh, with Ireland, uh, a small state uh, with a big neighbor. Uh, of course, this big neighbor is very different from Baltic states' big neighbor, but uh, but uh, history is uh, complicated still in, in both cases. Uh, previous relationship is, is complicated. So uh, uh, I think it also had to do with thinking about the future of the EU and the future of small member states in the EU. So that would be my answer. And I very much agree with it. And I think that in the Baltic states, we haven't really emphasized this point enough, being that the whole EU is behind one country, and so if we as an Estonia or any other small country, yes, of course, there are times when we don't get what we want and we are overridden in some, some questions. No question about that. But when it comes to really fundamental issues, the reasons why we are in the EU, then I think the Brexit negotiation shows that, that, that you know, the big countries do come behind you. And, um, and, and if we had doubts beforehand, then... Now, after, we, we definitely shouldn't have them. Of course, 
conditions might be different and so on and so forth. But fundamentally, there is this political understanding with that essentially the EU doesn't leave anyone behind. And, um, and, 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 I, and I think that as a commentator on this issue, I, I, I genuinely feel that I should kind of go and talk about it more. Uh, that I don't, I don't make it significant enough uh, to its uh, to its actual worth. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much. But one one criticism that's been made, um, I think, from this side of the channel rather than um, the other side, um, a lot is that the EU's response to you know to the whole um, Brexit issue, the, the question of the UK's departure, um, has been overly bureaucratic, um, inefficiently agile, and in particular, there hasn't been an attempt to to reach an agreement or to pitch um, a a, a possible solution that would be in the mutual interest of both the UK and the EU. And I just wondered what you thought about that view. I think uh, bureaucracy probably refers to, first of all, to those efforts to to have a common position. And in this respect, uh, it's understandable. And I think it should be welcomed, uh, especially by by small member states, um, uh, but uh, I personally think EU could have been more flexible on the issue of a level playing field because uh, I think uh, here some member states, uh, I have in mind first of all France, uh, made a large influence on negotiating mandate uh, and and uh, for the sake of unity, again, I think other member states did not want to uh, to risk uh, internal disagreements, obstruct obstructing uh, negotiations. But I think this very strict position on the level playing field um, is is uh, rather shaky from economic point of view, from from the point of view of competition, and uh, having in mind uh, in mind other free trade agreements between the EU and other countries in the world, like Canada. And this is, as we know, is also part of the UK's official position that uh, uh, it was different when EU negotiated with Canada on this issue. Um, and and also on fisheries, I think uh, eight member states uh, are keeping sort of uh, other member states uh, hostages uh, with with uh, their demands. Uh, and and I think internally uh, there could have been uh, uh, more uh, discussions and more flexibility on 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 behalf of those eight member states which have uh, interest in fisheries. But negotiations are still ongoing, and I'm aware that a lot of uh, this is part of negotiating game. Uh, and of course, uh, EU also is right expecting flexibility from the UK's uh, government uh, on the same issues, uh, and uh, probably also uh, knowing that uh, the UK would lose much more in the case of uh, no deal scenario. So, uh, so uh, uh, I would say that both uh, sides uh, could uh, show more flexibility if rational calculations were taken into account. But uh, of course, domestic politics plays an important role here. And domestic politics is the main reason behind the, the whole Brexit process. So 
uh, I keep reminding myself when I start speaking about economic calculations and and uh, win-win solutions that uh, from the very beginning uh, this type of thinking was pushed aside by domestic politics and short-term political interests. So that's what we have. I, I think it's such a funny kind of argument to, to give in, in a sense, because on the one hand, first of all, this is what the European Union does. <laughs> it is a bureaucracy. <laughs> you know, politics is still mostly made in the national capitals and within the uh, EU council more concretely. Uh, so so that, that that's for one. And and the UK, like they they know that. <laughs> you know, this is so so that for one. But my second kind of point about it is like, what did you expect? If you're not confident about yourself and what you do, and which obviously the UK hasn't been, even, even in terms of like the, the research group within, okay, they are very confident, but, but the, let's say the Conservative Party as a whole, then of course you kind of try to start accusing the other one. But then again, you went to war and now you, and you made your calculus based on the softest approach that the enemy can take. If you go to war, you have to take the maximum toughest approach that the enemy could take. And then you're lucky if you get a softer one. But now to complain that we went to war and you're not playing soft, I think that's that's just, and, and this is what why I'm saying that. I In the sense that as a, as a kind of a true lover of Britain and, and UK and its society and people, and, and he's given me a lot, I'm, I'm worried about the UK's future in a sense, that you, you're going into a stormy international waters and you're complaining about the fact that the other, others are not nice to you. And so on the one hand, it's, it is like, what are your capabilities? Fine. It has come out that maybe the UK isn't that great as, 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 as it was thought by a certain part of the Conservative Party, but then at least have this emotional capability to, to, to go through it. But, but this, is, this, is, this, I think, just kind of shows this overall lack of self-confidence within the, kind of the Brexit and global Britain, future Britain, Singapore and Thames concept. And, and, and one of the things that I also as a commentator has quite often brought out is that this is incredibly high stake game of politics where the stakes are so high and, um, and, 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 and only to hope that, that that kind of is same what if let's try type of attitude that, that took over um, would not happen in any other kind of EU, EU countries. But, but I think it is a sign of this, this that the, the, the project itself is not really thought thoroughly through. The analysis, the SWOT analysis is completely undone. It is a complete game of what ifs. And, uh, and, I, and, and, and the reality is hitting quite hard. And I think this is exactly, the, this argument is an example of that. I just wondered if I could ask you about the sort of the fate of those those multiple waves of uh, bilateral rounds we heard about, you know, that the UK was um, sending a delegation again to, yeah, across Europe to try and um, court support from um, from other, other yeah, from EU member states to try and sort of soften the position. I wondered how those um, those overtures were met in both Estonia and in Lithuania. Well, I think uh, there are probably ten people who follow. 
those uh, repeated uh, reports about uh, new rounds of negotiations uh, uh, and uh, yeah that includes myself as well and continuously are disappointed uh, by the lack of progress and then there are the rest uh, who I think uh, do not really understand what is happening uh, because they hear the same message over and over again. So I think that is probably the general impression. And uh, yeah, one may, may wonder why for such a long time we keep hearing the same. It's it's uh, some sort of dysfunctional process, it seems. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I suppose, uh, again, explanation lies in domestic politics, uh, just... Uh, not many people are interested in those complexities uh, of two-level games, uh, to, to use academic uh, language. And uh, most, uh, most people are simply waiting what will happen after uh, December 31st uh, from a very practical point of view of traveling to the UK, meeting your relatives uh, that live there, doing business with the UK, uh, and and well, simply between between the UK and and our country because uh, this is important country for for us uh, from from different in terms of different uh, aspects. Building on from what you were you were saying, uh, Ramunas, about what happens on the first of January, twenty twenty one, and and all those dimensions that are perhaps not as. Uh, visible in the in the in the way the reporting is done on the negotiations, how how ready are Lithuania and Estonia for the end of this transition period? We uh, had uh, the debate uh, quite some time ago about uh, contingency measures. It seems also like uh, far away in the past, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, from what I know, our institutions are undertaking practical preparations, uh, having in mind that uh, customs procedures are going to be introduced anyway. Uh, more checks of people coming into the UK uh, will be introduced as well. So practical preparations for a no deal scenario are ongoing, also in coordination with the European Commission. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think uh, the process could be described, uh, uh, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. As much as I've kind of heard um, from the business community, it does seem that according to the, the, the signed agreement and the kind of the, the the and what he's essentially agreed already that that they've done everything that they can what is in, in under their kind of capacity so so I, I had the chance to kind of sit um with in one of those meetings and and mostly it was yeah it's all fine but what do we do if we have a no deal and so this is and here the eu has and hasn't been particularly forthcoming in trying to kind of prepare or get the member states um, prepared for it. But I think it is happening right now. So I think all in all, it, it, it would be fine. Um, but what what was the problem uh, or what kind of comes up to me in those meetings was that we know what to do from the EU side, but we don't know what the UK rules are going to be. And, and so everyone's kind of acting on this, like, okay, we think they will kind of 
do the same rules as the EU does, but nobody's 100% sure. And there's, so there's this kind of like, we've done everything that we can from our side, but we don't really know how it's going to work out because we don't know what the UK is doing or what, or what they are thinking. And um, and here again, I go into this uh, this issue about the kind of the, 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 whether how well thought through the project is. And you can see that actually it isn't really. So, um, so, so the practical problems, and, and now they've been so widely discussed also in British media about how, how practically um, the, the, the system isn't particularly ready to, 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 to that kind of a change. So, so we'll see, we'll see. Thank you very much for those answers. I wondered, and it has been touched upon, Pirat, you mentioned uh, the loving the UK people, its culture, Agatha Christie and Hercule Poirot, but also uh, Little Britain. Uh, also, among us, you mentioned the 250,000 uh, Lithuanians living in the UK. How have the perceptions of the UK and Estonia and Lithuania changed or evolved uh, over the two sets of negotiations? I think it's uh, quite difficult to say without uh, uh, opinion surveys, uh, but uh, I guess uh, yeah, many people uh, do not really understand what's happening. Uh, for some people who who were skeptical of the EU, this uh, this just confirms their their. Uh, convictions uh, uh, that uh, well, EU is is uh, uh, something that uh, is dysfunctional and and countries should leave it. But this this is a very small minority, I would say, in Lithuania, and it's uh, barely represented uh, in the parliament. Uh, I, I think it's very. Uh, very rarely heard view, uh, but yeah, talking about the views of the UK, uh, I think they remain quite positive, uh, though probably news about uh, challenges dealing with uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, might be affecting even more uh, general uh, general mood uh, with regards to the UK and its policies and successes of its policies. Uh, I think this has been overshadowing in popular debates and news uh, Brexit negotiations. Uh, but uh, yeah, generally speaking, I would say that uh, the UK still has a positive image. Uh, I think uh, uh, a lot of people still remember their experiences in the UK, whether with the British Council scholarships uh, or achieving scholarship like myself. Uh, uh, so uh, this doesn't really change the general image of a country because, well, if if people are interested in, in UK's politics, they understand that uh, not everyone among political elites uh, thinks like uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson or some of his uh, party members. So people understand domestic politics and, and uh, other things like uh, the uh, 
quality of studies, uh, of uh, high education, of research that UK has. I mean, there are still those soft power instruments that that uh, are visible. But um, yeah, I, I would uh, come back to this uh, hypothesis uh, because it still has to be tested tested in, in popular uh, surveys that uh, management of uh, COVID-19 pandemic might affect uh, UK's image more than, uh, than uh, handling of Brexit negotiations? Um, yeah, it's hard to kind of um, answer this question in terms of like specifically the negotiations. But I think overall, for a very long time, UK was the kind of the destination you go to get a better life. You know, and, and and especially for students, it was about higher higher education. Uh, you had this, and then and then and at the beginning of two two thousand tens, you know, the the fees weren't that high as well. But even when they rose to nine nine thousand, still many students went, and um, you had many many Estonians uh, and also loads of Lithuanians studying in, in UK universities. But what I think has happened with past the past ten years um, is that. I'm not so sure that living in the UK is so great anymore, uh, because of because because what what you get is that you get this uh, you see that the inequality is rising very fast there. You realise that as a as a young professional, um, it's very hard to make it in London. It's uh, you know this is this is not like the <laughs> Bridget Jones times where you just kind of get lost from a job and get another one the next week. Um, you, you see that the, the costs are really high. The income isn't always in relation to what, what the costs are. And what I've seen is, is quite many young people coming back because of the fact that, as they say, I come to Estonia, I get a normally paid job, I can, I can get an apartment, I can have like a... And, and that was personal to me as well. Like I, I don't commute 45 minutes minimum. Um, I actually have money to go out and, and to go and have dinner in the restaurant and so on and so forth. So I think that when, when we talk about the quality of life in the UK, and I think there's been a quite a lot about it within the domestic society as well. And I think the Brexit vote is also shows that, that the satisfaction uh, with the quality of life in the UK isn't that high. And I think this is also felt by, by many of the economic migrants who, who went to the UK from the Baltic states, but also the rest of the, kind of the 2004 enlargement countries. It is, it is a great country, but, uh, but it definitely has uh, many domestic problems. That's a very, very, very interesting answer. And as we said in the introduction, you've both spent time um, studying and working in the UK. Um, but I wanted to um, finish with by asking two speculative questions, if I may. The first is um, you, a very strong emphasis in, in, in um, what you've both had to say has been on security. And I wondered if you saw the election of Joe Biden um, feeding through having an impact on, on, on any of this. Um, yeah, how, 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 how do you imagine that will, that will play out? How will it affect this? And the other, the other question is, um, how do you see future bilateral relations between Estonia um, and the UK and between Lithuania and the UK? Indeed, uh presidential elections in the US were followed very closely in Lithuania, were commented a lot uh, by, by analysts. Uh, and uh, 
expectations are quite high. I would say, though, there is understanding that uh, it will be domestic issues uh, that will be priority for uh, the next president of the U.S. Uh, and especially uh, handling of uh, COVID-19 pandemic and uh, dealing with uh, economic and social problems. Uh, but expectations uh, of, of uh, Joe Biden's presidency are, of course, first of all, linked with more coordinated approach. Of course, with more support uh, towards uh, joint European Union activities, there is uh, also an understanding that Joe Biden is quite familiar with our region. So I think the first question will be how Biden and Boris Johnson will get along. So uh, because we, we, we saw Boris Johnson trying to appeal to Trump and, and it would be very interesting, but, but also in central European governments to see how, how they're going to go about uh, Joe, Joe Biden as such. Um, I think when it comes to transatlantic relations in the EU, the whole talk is about uh, the fact that the, the ball is in EU's court, we need to come up with a plan that we go to the White House and show, like, let's cooperate together. Now, the question is, what will the UK offer and where is the UK? And I think that kind of brings me to tying it with the second question about bilateral relations is that we want a very close relationship with the UK. But the problem is that we don't really understand what the UK wants. I know so much that the UK is starting to get keen on the so-called the Northern European uh, look at the world. So essentially, it's all quite a lot about Arctic, right? This is this is getting uh, getting get, becoming a bigger and bigger thing. But then the question is, okay, but, but like, what do you want to do that? And and so right now everything's kind of on hold on this. And then, as I said earlier, Estonia is member of the EU. And whether we want it or not, our foreign policy and what we do with other countries, to some extent, is framed by what the EU does. So there is this question, you know, how much, yes, in security policy, there is much more flexibility also because we're together in NATO and we can do stuff within the NATO framework. But when we talk about the EU's framework, then nevertheless, we're not tied to it but we're still influenced by what, what the EU is thinking. And so, so, so in that sense, uh, that is, and, I, and I would kind of bring out another important um, point here that Estonia is a non-permanent uh, mem uh, non member of the UN Security Council right now. So the first, our first year started in 2020. And, and I remember the diplomat saying that, you know, we don't have the UK. And, and back then, at the beginning of the year, there was a very clear instruction for the UK diplomats to just kind of, you know, we're just going to take a step back right now. And, 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 and this is where we are with the UK when it comes to kind of foreign relations, is that it's very hard to cooperate if the one side doesn't have instructions on what to do. So, yeah, and I would kind of finally point out, there's been a talk about this kind of E3, so UK, Germany, France working together. Um, I know that in the Nordic Baltic region, this is a definite no. And so, so we really, and I know that the Nordics are quite against it. So, so we do hope that, that it will not end up being, being this trio. Of course, the Nordic Baltics would like to create some kind of a special relationship with the UK on their own kind of regional format. Um, but I do, I do hope that in that sense, it will not become this kind of uh, 
so-called differentiated integration in its own kind of a bizarre, bizarre way. Romulus, you wanted to add something? Yes, what concerns security military cooperation, this will be, of course, actively uh, pursued within the NATO framework. And uh, yeah, I, I think uh, policymakers in the Baltic states hope that uh, the U.S. will also become more constructive in, in this respect. Uh, uh, and the U.S., new U.S. administration uh, and the U.K. will uh, share the same uh, assessment of uh, threats uh, in our region uh, with uh, with Baltic states, uh, which has been traditionally the case. Uh, but what concerns uh, future economic uh, relationship, uh, there is still a big question mark related to the fact that we don't know what will be the future relationship between the EU and the UK. The EU is a customs union, as we all know, and therefore EU27 have a single external trade policy. I think the Baltic states will remain somewhat torn between the interest to maintain close traditional relationship in different areas with the UK, but also having in mind the huge importance of unity within the EU and giving priority to the latter if there is uh, a need to choose, unfortunate need to choose, uh, then, then especially in economic uh, field, political field more generally, of course, EU27 is generally speaking more important for the Baltic states compared to the UK. But this is an unfortunate choice that, that we have to discuss. Well, thank you so much, Piret and Ramunas. That's been a really uh, very interesting conversation and uh, we've learned a tremendous amount about, uh, about the views from um, Estonia and from Lithuania. Thank you for listening to us. Thanks to our guests. Please join us for the next episode of Negotiating Brexit, Views from the Member States.